Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Amen, amen. Come on, why don't you go ahead and high five somebody and then have a seat. If you know him well enough, kiss him on the cheek. If you don't know him well enough, don't do that, all right? You know there was a single guy that was like, yes, this is my shot. Put your lips away, young man. Hey, um, just want to say welcome to church. My name is Colby. If this is your first time checking out Elevate Church, I believe that God has something great for us today. And I believe that as we enter into his word, if you are open and receiving what he would have for you, that he will meet you. Uh, right where you are and give you exactly what you need. Uh, If this is your first time kind of coming to church and maybe you're checking things out and you're like, you know, what's going on? What did I get myself into? Why are people raising their hands, you know, while they're singing? Do people have a question? And why is nobody asking them? What's your question? Like, if that's your experience, this is your first time coming. Uh, Or, let me say this, if you've been coming for a long time and you just kind of figure like you you have it all figured out and you know what's going to happen, can I just tell you, if you would just come with an expectant heart today, I think God wants to meet you there. I have a title for the message today. In fact, I got a lot of titles because this is one of those where I was just trying to come up with, you know, exactly what what to call it, what would help kind of give us some direction. Ultimately, we landed on this. If you're a note taker, you can jot this down. All is bright. Um, But kind of a subtitle to that would be uh, lit up to light up. Or my personal favorite subtitle, you know, B would be I'm here to glow, yo. So right now. Tell somebody next to you, I'm here to glow, and don't forget the yo. Say yo, I'm here to glow, yo. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke, uh, but also put your your thumb in or your bookmark in uh, the book of Acts, because we're going to talk about these two books, and we're going to cover them in a lot of detail. But Luke 2, verse 11 says this, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And for the next few moments together, we're going to focus on these two books that are written by the same guy. All right, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. This is Luke, not the Skywalker. Uh, This is Luke, the doctor, the physician. And as a doctor and a physician, he wrote a very detailed account of Jesus' life, of the birth of Jesus In fact, what we just read in Luke 2 is going to be read in churches all over the world in this week and next week about the birth of the Savior into the world. Uh, But he also talks about his life and detailed accounts of how Jesus, you know, grew up and and lived this perfect sinless life who gave his life for the, the sins of the world. And then in Acts 2, or Acts, the book of Acts is about the birth of the church. But here's what I want us to notice, um, that there's this critical thread that runs throughout both of these books that connects me with God, that connects you with God, that uh, really allows us to participate in what God is doing in the earth. That you and I are not called to just be spectators. I hope you know that. Like if you walk through the doors perhaps late, you know, and just kind of sat in the back today, or if you're planning on skirting out a little bit early, a couple of things you should know is one is we've already locked the door so you can't leave. Two is that you weren't meant to be a spectator. You're meant to participate in what God is doing in the earth. Like we're, we're meant to participate in the story that is unfolding, the story that began really in Luke 2 with, with Jesus coming into the world, this Messiah being born into the world. You need to know that, that if you were hoping to kind of just slide out of here, listen, God knows you by name. 
He knows exactly you know, what you're bringing in with you in your, your heart. And he wants to pull us from being a spectator into a participator. Because it's one thing to be an armchair quarterback, right, and watch things unfold. It's another thing to actually take a punch and get back up, to get a part, to be in the game. And I'm so grateful, by the way, that we have a church that, that, can, that wants to participate, a church that likes to get their hands dirty, to serve, to come alongside what God is doing. And not just financially, by the way, uh, but last week we came together and brought our Until Jesus Runs This Town offering. And I'm excited to tell you guys that we brought in last weekend and through the weekend online $159,000 towards advancing. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Towards advancing the mission of this church in the city in the coming year. But I'm not talking about just financial you know, kind of involvement that many of you say, coach, put me in. Like, I, I want to I be a part. I want to be a participator. I want to jump in. Like, where do you need me? I want to be a part of this, this game. And so the exciting news that we see as Luke kind of writes out, you know, the gospel of Luke and, and Acts is that we are a part of it. Like, you and I have a part to play in this story. However, the story does not start with us. It starts with Jesus that he is the focus, that he really is at the center of it all. He's the one that this whole thing is all about, that this glorious savior of ours was born in the city of David, right, in Bethlehem, the one that was prophesied to come for years and years. If you go back through the Old Testament, specifically in the prophets, you'll see that the Messiah was prophesied to come, this, this promised Messiah. And then all of a sudden in Luke 2, it's like, boom, he's here. God in flesh. That, that Jesus, this, this little eight-pound, four-ounce, you know, sweet baby Jesus, right, as they said in Talladega Nights, was born in this, this, this stable, this, this cave stable, really. This, uh, and on this day that he's born, everything changes. Colby, why does everything change? Because this isn't just another guy. Like, this is the Messiah, the one who would rescue us, the one who would save us from our sins, the one who came into this world to restore what was broken, uh, heal what is hurting, to put you and I back together in a right relationship with God. It says in that city, the town of David, the city of David, Jesus would be born, who would eventually live this perfect life, be crucified, dead, buried, but it would only be a borrowed tomb, right? Because three days later, he would come back to life, conquering sin and death, so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved. That's who we're talking about right there. That Savior. And by the way, that Savior is still alive. He's still active. He's still moving. For anyone who would call on his name could have their life changed and be forgiven of their sins and set free from the penalty of our sin because of him. So when we talk about this story, it all starts with Jesus. Write this down. There's really only one Savior. One Savior, again, who's still alive, who's still moving, rescuing the broken, finding the lost, but there's only one. There is no other name by which men must be saved. There is only one path. In fact, Jesus himself said, right, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says he's the doorway. The Bible says that he is the gate, that there is no other way. But he invites us all on that journey, by the way. He invites everybody that's listening to this online after the fact. He invites everybody in this room, whether you think you're a good person or a bad person. He invites uh, you no matter what background you come from, no matter what ethnicity or nationality. He invites all of us along this journey. He says, whoever calls on my name will be saved. 
I wonder if right now you can think back to the time in your life that happened. Do you remember that moment for some of you? And again, that's not everybody in this room, but the moment that, that you realized that you had a hole in your soul that could only be filled with Jesus? The moment that you understood your desperate need for a savior that, that you on your own you know, could not get to God, but you needed Jesus to save you? The moment uh, he healed what was broken and missing in your life. Do you remember that moment? That's who we're talking about. That Savior came into this, this manger, this manger scene, and he's still with us today. And by the way, if you're here and you don't yet know that Savior, today is your day. Like, I believe that God brought you to this place so that, you know, this big bone guy up here could tell you about Jesus, who was born in this manger some 2,000 years ago to save the sins, save us from the sins of the world, to save us. And so today is your day. However, it starts with there being one Savior. How many Saviors are there? One Savior, which means, by the way, you can't save you. You are not your own Savior. Your spouse can't save you. Your job can't save you. Your kids can't save you. Your two-year-old, uh, you know if you got a two-year-old, they can't save you, amen? Like, my two-year-old needs Jesus. He needs saved. I just want to throw that out there. But there is only one way. And I say that because we see so many different ways people are looking for salvation. Like you don't have to look very far, look on blogs, look on social media, you know, look on Facebook feeds or, or, so, or Instagram stories to know that people are looking for salvation in all different kinds of places. And you and I both know that you, no amount of money in the bank you know, we'll give that to you. There's no amount of followers on online that you can have that will make you feel whole, right? There is only one Savior, one Savior. And so that's how Luke opens the story in Luke chapter 2, that this one Savior comes into the world, but it doesn't stop there. Keep reading, flip a little ahead to Luke 6, because in Luke 6, something happens. This little eight-pound, four-ounce, sweet baby Jesus isn't a baby anymore, He's about 30 years old, and he begins to, check it out, pick people, choose people to be a part of this plan that is unfolding. Luke 6, verse 12 says this, one day, soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose, how many say it out loud? Twelve. Twelve, twelve of them, chose twelve of them to be apostles. So how many saviors do we have? One savior. How many disciples did he choose? 12, and he picks these guys. And I love the fact that uh, Jesus picks these guys, these, these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles, because if you ever read through the story of these guys, you'd realize they weren't the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? They weren't the sharpest tool in the shed. Like, I read uh, some of the things that they say, and I'm like, man, he's really dumb. But I'm really dumb. And so I feel like maybe Jesus would have picked me too. Because how many of you know, write this down, God picks projects, not perfection. He doesn't just pick perfection. In fact, God chooses more availability over your own ability. He wants to see who's available to be used in a, in a great way by God. Like, like, you know this, sometimes we think that we'll look at somebody and think, well, of course God would use that person. Look at them. They're perfect. They're their teeth are perfect, their smile is perfect, they got perfect hair, you know, or, or whatever it is. But how many of you know, uh, God doesn't choose based on what the world thinks we should choose on. 
Like sometimes we think someone is the obvious choice, but God does not care about what the obvious choice is. He picked a stutterer, right, a timid stutterer to lead millions out of captivity. He picked a, the youngest of, of a family, a shepherd, to be a great king of the nation of Israel. He picked, he picked a guy who hated Christians, a Christian killer to write two-thirds of the New Testament in Paul. He picked a young teenage girl to be the carrier of the Messiah that was to be born into the world. God doesn't just pick perfection. He picks projects. You should know that. And so he's not looking for people that are just qualified to do what he wants them to do. Like, like he's looking for people who aren't qualified, but he'll qualify those who are unqualified. And so that's what he's looking around. He picks these, these guys. In fact, uh, if you were to sit down probably with people that you admire most in life, that you, you would see them and you think God is working in a significant way in their life, you would discover quickly that they're not perfect, that they're just a project too. That, that Jesus got his hands on, right, did a little DIY on their life, and that's what you're seeing now. You're not seeing, you know, you're not seeing the project that took place to get them where they are. Um, it was about a year and a half ago, Kristen and I moved into the house that we're in now. We had a very generous couple come alongside us to help us kind of get where we are. But it was an older home. It was built in the 50s, needed a lot of work, actually. And I went in there, and I'm like, I got this. I can do this. Like, I, got, I can do a little DIY. I can do some remodeling. I've seen Chip and Joanna I don't know how many times. I've been to Home Depot at least six times, right? I got this. Kristen, I got this. Um, I can do this. And Kristen reminded me. She said, uh, honey, you don't even have a hammer. I'm like, I don't need no hammer, woman. God's my hammer. You know, we got this. The, the handle of my screwdriver works really well. Anybody else that way? I'm like, I'm going to beat things with that. Uh, come to find out you actually do need a hammer. Uh, but she told me. That uh, do, do you remember the time that you put together that dresser from Ikea? Which, come on, really? Like, the directions, the instructions for that are like a comic strip. That you open that thing up, and then by the time I got done with it, there were still like 12 pieces left and a drawer left. And I'm like, I think I'm done. And she's like, you, you're not done. So she just reminded me, I'm, I'm not a do, DIY kind of person. But some of you, you're amazing at that stuff. Like, some of you can take take nothing and turn it into something, you know, amazing. Some of you are all Pinteresty, and you're like, I'll do this, I'll take that broke down, dilapidated, you know, thing that nobody else wants, and you make something beautiful out of it. Some of you are so skilled that way. Some of you can do that with food. Like, you open up your fridge, and nothing's in there except leftover turkey and onion and, a must and some mustard, right? And you just, like, 20 minutes, voila, you know, turkey a la mustard. You just kind of, like, <laughs> make this... Michelin star meal, because some of you are incredible that way at taking nothing and turning it to something. Can I tell somebody here today that that's exactly what Jesus does? He wants to take something that was broken and dilapidated and hurting and lost, and he wants to turn it into something amazing. He's been doing that through all of history, and he wants to do that with you. There's no one in this room who is too far gone, who is too far busted, who is too far, you know, dilapidated, you know, for God to do something incredible in your life. It's availability that he's looking for, not just your, your ability, not just what you can do. And he wants to work in and through your life. And the world uh, can look down at, at what God has done with someone. It's the, the grace of God as he's able to take someone who's hurting and broken and restore them to their original purpose and design. That's, that's what's amazing about the grace of God, by the way. 
Because he can do something amazing with your life and everyone else can look on and think that's the way you've always been. But you know, and God knows, that you were a project that God turned into a masterpiece. Is anybody grateful that God chooses projects and not perfection? Like I know I am in my own life. And he wants to do that with you. And that's what he did with these disciples, by the way, with the guys that he, he picked. They were projects. And the biggest problem with God's grace is that it works so well, right? It, it enables people to look on and think, again, that they've always been that way. But how many of you know the truth is if, if people would have only know, known you back then, back when you still had some things you were trying to, to work out, or I know the marriage looks great right, right, right now, but how about in year two of the marriage when you were fighting and you didn't know if it was gonna last, right? Or how about, you know, I know you're at church today, but you can remember a time where Sundays weren't spent coming to church, they were spent nursing a hangover from Saturday night. Anybody wanna be honest this morning, right? That you are a project, but God can put his hand on you in a moment and restore something back to its original purpose. It's the grace of God, and he calls these guys, these disciples to himself, and then he only picks 12 of them, which means, by the way, there's more than 12, right? I just blew some of your minds right there. You're like, no, there's only 12 disciples. I've seen the painting. You know, I know that there's only, there's only 12. Well, there were way more than 12. A bunch of people were, were following Jesus that he considered disciples, but he only picks 12 of them to be apostles, which means that a lot of them didn't get picked, in fact, later on in Acts, we see that they have to replace one of the apostles, Judas, and so they decide between these two guys, and so one guy gets picked to be the apostle, and the other one doesn't, which means he got rejected twice, right? That's like a, a bad day, but he picks 12 of them, and I just want to say this, because sometimes we can get hung up here on the position that, that God gives us, the position that he assigns us. Can we just be a people that are more concerned with the person of Jesus than, than the position that he assigns us? Like, can we just be a church that's more concerned about how close we can get to God, how close we can get to Jesus, rather than where he has someone else on their journey? Like, can we just be a people that say, you know what, put me in the parking lot. Like, put me with, with kids. Like, where do you need me? I'll, I'll, I'll make coffee. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't have to be on the stage. I don't have to, you don't have to even know my name. I'm just more concerned about being as close to Jesus as I can. I'm not concerned about the position that I have. Like, I feel like we have a church that way. That we're just concerned about what can we do to participate with what God is doing. I'm okay with whatever. So how many saviors do we have? Let's review. One savior. He picks how many disciples? 12, all right, here we go. Luke 10, verse 1 says this. The Lord now chose how many? 72. So we went from 1 to 12 to 72, and he sent them out ahead in pairs, that's significant, to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Verse 2, these were his instructions uh, to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. So he's saying that there's a great work that has to happen. There are people that are far from God. There are people that are hurt, people that are lost, that need to hear this message. So I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out in pairs. Skip down to verse 17. Uh, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the powers of the enemy, 
uh, verse 20 says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. So he says, I'm going to grab these 72. So we went from 1 to 12 to 72. And I'm going to send them out because there's a lot of work that has to happen. The harvest is great. In other words, there are people that desperately need a Savior. And I'm going to send you out, he says, in pairs, two by two, into a dark world for you to carry my light into the dark places. I think there's something significant about sending them out in pairs because there's something about community. There's something about doing life together. There's something about having accountability with with someone else. I hear people say sometimes that, during difficult seasons in their life is when they pull away from the church. It's when they pull away from God, when they pull away from God's people. Can I tell you something? The first step away from God is a step away from God's people. And they'll say things like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work some things out in my life and then I'll come back uh, with all due respect. That's the worst thing that you can do is to isolate yourself in a season where you have so many struggles Like the best thing you can do in the moments of pain is to press in even more into God's people, into God's God's church, and is surrounding yourself with, with godly people, not isolating yourself. It's the worst thing that you can do in that season is to isolate yourself. You need to to be surrounded by people who will speak God's word into your your life. So I would encourage you, even in the middle of a difficult season, jump on a team. Like get in a group, surround yourself with people. I say that because there is somebody here today that you are walking through hell, and it's not God's fault that you're walking through that because he's placed people in your life that want to carry that load, that want to share that burden alongside of you, but you've rejected and neglected to use those other people to help strengthen you. In fact, I'll say this. Every single weekend we have people stand up here after the service that want to pray with you. Like, would you be willing today to to take a step, to take off the mask, to come forward and ask someone to pray alongside of you? Like, would you, would you be, you know, bold enough to say, you know what, I don't have it all together, that, that, that I need somebody to stand with me in agreement on this in my life? These people aren't here to shame you or to guilt you or, or, or to judge you in any way. All they want to do is stand with you and agree with you and help strengthen you and point you to, to Jesus ultimately. So I'd say take advantage of that. Don't walk through this season maybe where you're struggling or in desperation alone. Don't isolate yourself at all. So these 72, they come back, and they're fired up, and they're all like, Jesus, like, this is amazing. Like, we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Even the demons obeyed us. Like, we'd walk into a house and be like, demons be gone, which some of you parents, you wish you could do that with your children, right? Demons be gone. I know I've said that before. Um, but that's what they're saying. And Jesus is like, I know, because I've given you power. I've given you authority. All you have to do is use my name. Like, put my name card out there, and the demons will, will obey. But then watch this. What does he say? But, like, don't let that go to your head. Like, I don't want you getting your, your neck all sore because your head got big. In fact, what I want you to rejoice most about is what? That your names are registered in heaven. The thing that you should be most excited about is not what you can do, what I can do through you, is what I've already done in you. The the thing that you should be most excited about is that you have a relationship with me. That's the most important thing in sending those 72 out, two by twos in pairs, is to tell people about this relationship that they can have with Jesus. I want that to be your greatest joy, he says. So we see Jesus kind of painting this picture for his disciples. It starts with, One Savior, 
goes to 12 that he chooses, then it goes to 72 that he picks, and you think that maybe he perhaps is done at that point. Nope, he keeps going. Acts chapter 1, are you guys still with me? Are you good? I know we're covering a lot of ground. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised uh, that I had told you about before. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said at one point, hey, it's better that I leave. Like, you don't know this, but it's better that I go away. It's better that, you know, I ascend to the Father because I'm going to send another, and this other is going to be with you. And just as Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit is going to be God in us. He's going to be with you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to uh, lead you into all righteousness and, and knowledge. And so he said, I'm going to send another. So don't leave Jerusalem until I do that. Because John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, Erie, Pennsylvania, all around the world. Verse 15. And during this time, when about how many? 120 believers were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. So it starts with one Savior. And then 12 are picked. And then 72 are, are chosen to, to send out. And now we have 120 in this upper room together. He says these 120, uh, something's going to happen. Something's going to uh, come on them. The Holy Spirit's going to fill them. And he's going to give them a specific purpose, which is enable them and empower them to be as witnesses. Enable them to, to share who Jesus is throughout the known world. In other words, he's saying, what I've called you to do and what you've been called to do, you can't do on your own. Like how many of you know the moment that you sign up to be a follower of Jesus that you are automatically put in over your head? Does anybody know that? And that he's going to ask you to do something that you are not able to do in your own strength. Like the moment you decide, I'm going to give my life and I'm going to follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to go further than you ever could on your own. He's going to ask you to give bigger than you ever could in your own strength. He's going to ask you to love bigger and to care more than you ever possibly could on your own. Why does he do that? Because if, if, if you could do it on your own, why would you need Jesus? Like, why would you need the Holy Spirit? Why would you need his power to fill you and strengthen you? And he says, I'm doing it for a purpose. And that is for you to be able to be my witnesses throughout the world. And so that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. It says the Holy Spirit comes on them. Power fills them. And power enables them to start speaking these other languages, these known languages and to all these people in the city that have, have gathered there from all different parts, you know, of the world at that time that speak all these different languages and, and power fills them. And these people are like, man, these guys are crazy. In fact, the people in the town start saying, hey, they're drunk. Like, they must be drunk. They must have been uh, hitting the eggnog pretty hard. You know, the, they're lit up like a Christmas tree. And Peter stands up, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. This is what he says. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, he was one of them, right? There were 12. And shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this, these people, they're not drunk. As some of you are assuming and think, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Which some of you are like, well, back in the day, wasn't all that early. He says that's not what's going on. In fact, he continues and he says, hey, what we see here is something that was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, hey, this isn't just going to be a man thing. It's not just going to be a woman thing. He says, I'm going to pour it out on all people. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And then look at verse 41 after Peter preaches this really unbelievable message, the first message, the opening day of the church, talking about the one Savior, right, who came for the sins of of the world, this one Savior. It says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, and about how many? 3,000 in all. So it starts out with one Savior, who in turn uh, chooses 12 apostles, who then picks 72 and sends them out in pairs. And then there are 120 that are in this upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and power to fall so that they can be the witnesses, you know, to to Jesus throughout the known world. And then opening day of the church, 3,000 people give their life to follow Jesus and get baptized on that day. So it goes from one to 12 to 72 to 120 to 3,000. Come on, help me out. It goes from one to 12 to 72 to 120 to 3,000. One more time. It goes one to 12, 72, 120, 3,000. You know the thing I love about the book of Acts? It doesn't have an ending. Like there's no sign off. There's no, all right, it's over. It's done. Over and out. Time to go. End of story. No, do you know why that is? Because we are the church. And it's our job now to continue to carry the message of Jesus, the Savior, this one Savior that was born in a major to the ends of the earth as far and as fast as we can, that we are a part, we are participating in the story of Christmas that is unfolding in front of us. How awesome is that? One, twelve. 72, 120, 3,000, the life of this church. Now 4,600 people have said yes to following Jesus, and there's more to come. We are a part of that. In fact, let's do this. Help me out. Let's dim these lights. Would you right here, would you crack your glow stick and just hold it up high? How many saviors are there? We're not saying you're the savior. We're not saying you're Jesus. You might be really close. I don't know. One, one savior. And then from there, there were, were 12. These, these rows right here, one row, two row, three rows. You light them up right here. Then it went to 12. That might not be 12, but that's close enough. And then those 12 were called to help establish the church and build the church. And it says he sent 72 out in pairs. This whole center section, come on, you guys, crack it and hold it up high. 72 went out. And they went out in pairs. Come on, everybody on this side too. Right here, this center section. About 72 people went out in pairs. Why? Because there's something about doing life together. There's something about being with one another and accountability. Like you should never be alone. And then it said 120. This whole section over here, crack your glow stick, hold it up high. 120. We're in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and to fall and to empower them. And then on opening day of the church, come on, everybody on this side, crack it and hold it up high. It said 3,000 people. And the light began to light up the world and begin to spread in the dark places of the world. And that's what we are called to be. John 8, 12 says that Jesus is the light of the world. If anyone is in Christ, they don't walk in darkness, but they have the light of life inside of them. That that is our job now. 
our responsibility to get up off the stands and to participate in being a light to the world. Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, you are a light of the world. You're a town built on a hill. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. In fact, take your light right now, hide it under your leg. Just, just sit on it for a second. And now bring it back out. And now put it back under your leg. Because that was fun. Do it one more time. Bring it back out. You see how light it is? Now put it back under your leg and just kind of keep it there. Keep it there for a second. You see how dark it is? Hey, if Christ has been born and the light of Christ is living inside of you, why are you living this way? No one can see that. No one knows that. Like our job, we have been empowered now to be a light, to carry that world, to carry that light into the darkest places that we know. Now light it back up and just keep it up there. That you are a light. Like you're a light. Like what's keeping you back from from being that light that he's called you to be. Like you're a light. But why do you think some of you are too much of a project for Jesus to get a hold of and do a little DIY in your life and to light you up from the inside out? You are a light. And as a light, you were meant to shine. You were meant to shine for your neighbors. You are meant to shine in your workplaces, in your schools. You are a light. The Bible doesn't say, Matthew 5 doesn't say, hey, hold your light up for everybody to see if you're an extrovert, if you're bold that way, if you're an introvert, you don't have to worry about it. That's not what it says. You are a light. Hey, can I tell you something? This next week, we have the greatest opportunity to shine our light in a city that desperately needs it. And Christmas is the opportunity for us to to focus on the one Savior who was born into this world. The one Savior. There's no other name by which people must be saved. That he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And for us to tell as many people as we can about him. And as a light, you have a responsibility to point people to that one Savior. That's your job. And there's nothing like Christmas for us to be able to do that. I would encourage you as you take that light with you. Like, let that be a reminder that there's somebody in your life that you need to light up. Like, that you came here to glow, yo. That you need to light up. You've been lit up to light up. And there are people in your life that desperately need the light of Jesus. Now put those glow sticks down for a second in your lap. The reality is, there's some people here that you don't have the light of Christ living inside of you. And just as in order for that light to glow in that stick, something had to be broken. And I think for you too, something has to be broken. Like you have to come to the reality that, that your goodness, you know, doesn't get you there. That you doing this on your own doesn't get you there. That you are desperately need in need of a Savior. That there's this hole inside of you that can only be filled with Jesus, the light of the world. And as we become broken to that, and as we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I can't do this without you, and as we call on the name of Jesus, the Bible says that we are saved in that moment, that we believe that Jesus died on the cross to give his life for us, for our sin, so we would not have to die in our sin. We confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. That is the moment of breaking in our life, and the light of Christ comes and lives inside of us. And for some of you, that's why you're here. 
You're not here by chance. But God's brought you to this moment to once again hear that this one Savior came into the world 2,000 years ago because we could not get to God, so God came to us through Jesus. And we were in desperate need of him. And some of you today, you are in desperate need of that Savior. I'd love for everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. The way we get to God is through receiving the price, the payment for our sins of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that we would be saved. We would have the light of Christ come into our life. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer in just a moment because, again, everybody's invited to participate in this Christmas story that's been unfolding, that God wants to, to live inside of your life, to light you up to be a light to the world. And some of you have never said yes to following Jesus, or perhaps you said yes a long time ago, but today you know you're not walking with him. That you're about as far away from God as you can be. But I believe he's drawing you back today for this moment to once again surrender your life to follow him. So in a second, I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer. If you'd say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I'm gonna pray right along with you. I'm gonna surrender my life to follow Christ. I want the light of Christ to live inside of me. And I wanna be a light to the world around me. I'm gonna confess my sins and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead so I could be saved. With no one looking around, if that's you right now, would you be bold and hold your light up and just say, I want to have the light of Jesus live inside my life. Lights going up all around this room. Awesome, awesome. God bless you all. Yeah, yeah, put, put those down. Just say something like this. You can use your own language. Uh, I'm just going to help you along the way. You can say, Jesus, today, I give my life to follow you. I want the Holy Spirit to come live inside of me, to equip me, to strengthen me, to give me power. But more than anything, I want to rejoice in the fact that my name is forever registered in heaven, that I will have eternal life with you. And so, Jesus, I, I repent of my sin. I say, forgive me for all the ways that I've not followed you. And today, I believe that you died for all of my sin, past, present, and future. And I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe that God raised you from the dead. So right here, right now, I'm being raised to a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.